Welcome to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur show with me, Brenda Hector. I'm a business growth specialist helping business owners to develop themselves and grow their businesses so they can achieve their goals and enjoy the lifestyle they dream of. I'm also on a mission to revolutionize the entrepreneurial landscape for women in business. In every podcast episode, I interview someone who has an inspiring story or some great advice for women aiming to start or scale their businesses. If you're new to the show, take a moment to subscribe and please check out the previous ones after listening to this. We've got an awesome community on Facebook. Just search for Scale Her Up and join in. Today on the Scale Her Up podcast, bit of a, an unusual one for us today because I've got three guests with me. I've got Laura Smith, Catherine Livingston and Catherine McManus from Wiley Bissett, who, um, quite Google, tells me that they're Glasgow's leading accountancy practice. Is that correct? Well, we like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, no, it's a fantastic accolade. So welcome, ladies. Welcome to Scale Her Up. Good morning. Good morning and thanks for having us, Brenda. Yeah, really good to have you, have you all with, with us today. Usually I start with my guests, just getting them to tell us a bit about, introduce themselves and tell us a bit of their story. So I'll maybe go around all three of you and you can tell us what you do and how you got here. So let's start with Captain McManus. Okay, I'm the oldest, I suppose that's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I am Catherine McManus, tax partner at Wiley & Bissett. I've been with the firm for seven years now, actually almost exactly seven years, and have been partner for five years. Prior to that, I've been in taxation for 27 years. It's, it's hard to believe, time just flies. And when I first started out, I, I, I didn't want to get into taxation when I first started out. I had desperate aspirations to be an auditor when I was at university studying accountancy back in the day. But that wasn't the route that I ended up going down and I ended up going down a tax route. I trained with Ayrshire Young, which at that point in time was one of the big five. And I enjoyed my training there, but I think I knew that I wasn't, didn't want to be in a, in a big firm um, for a long, long time. So I moved a couple of years later after my training to uh, what was then PKF, which became BDO via merger in about 2013. Um, and I stayed there for 18 years and was, I would say, largely happy. I got a chance to do both personal tax and corporate tax, really the things that I, I knew I wouldn't necessarily get in, in a larger firm, which is fine. I wasn't a particular specialist in an area. I covered all taxes, which was great. Really got to know clients, got to learn my trade, learn my skill. And I'll be honest, if PKF hadn't merged, I would have probably stayed there. I was director there. I was in route for partnership. I felt comfortable there. I really enjoyed it. But then life took us in a different path. And I ended up at, at what was, again, a bigger firm, a much bigger firm via the merger at BDO. And well, so nothing wrong with a big firm. Listen, they've all, got, they've all got their place. I still knew, I think, even then that it probably wasn't for me. Um, and I didn't want to necessarily be put into sort of one area of taxation. I really liked that client interaction and that that joy of sort of being able to talk to the 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 business owner about yes, his company affairs, but also what he was going to be doing from a personal tax perspective. So I thought, well, okay, let's. I can either stay here and be director and just wandle through my career and continue as I'm doing quite happily. Or I can take a bit of a chance and believe me, you know, in my early 40s, I thought, oh, don't know about this, but let's go for it. And I decided to take a chance and move to Wiley & Bissett, which is obviously an independent firm based in Glasgow. Although we've got clients all over the UK and get back to sort of the really hands-on approach, which, I, which I've always enjoyed. Uh, and have to say, well, so it was a bit of a leap of faith at the time. I've not looked back. I've not regretted it one bit. It's been a great experience. Client base here is excellent. Put a lot of play on work-life balance, no matter what level you're at. You know, it doesn't matter what grade you're at in here. There, there's an element of, you know, you actually you've got to sort of live and work and breathe and, and, you know, enjoy your life. And that client interaction and the support that I got from the partnership group to get to partner within my first couple of years was excellent. I mean, I came in knowing that was the plan that I was, I was on. And if I performed, I would get there. But I still got a lot of support from the existing partner group and I really felt quite welcome mm. and I felt welcome ever since. So now I'm five years into partnership. Do I ever have a bad day? Absolutely. Um, but I still enjoy it. I still enjoy my clients, new clients, that opportunity to develop new work. 
I've got some new partners now who you obviously speak to just shortly, and Laura and Catherine, who became partners last year. And it's just a pleasure, to be honest with you. But yeah, have my moments. And that's about me in a nutshell, really. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, let's just move on to Laura. Do you, do you want to just share your story? Yeah, absolutely. So there's probably a bit of crossover, I guess, with Catherine at Manus and I, in that we did work, I worked for BDO at a point, but I suppose just go back to when I joined Wiley & Bissett. So I joined Wiley & Bissett uh, six years ago, was promoted to partner last April. So yeah, we're now in what, month, month 14. Um, and, you know, it's been absolutely fantastic and a bit of a, a challenge. But my journey actually started, I suppose, going back to uni, I, I wasn't necessarily convinced that was for me. So my degree at university was actually accountancy and law. Um, because at that point in time, I didn't know if I wanted to be an accountant or be a lawyer. Um, and I quite liked the idea of, of family law. But through, I suppose, the course at um, university and also sending my CV, like as the university student tends to do over the summer looking for some work, it was a small accountancy firm in Lanarkshire that responded to my CV and gave me a summer job uh, in accounts. Uh, it's a very you know, two-partner practice. There was only seven staff in total and gave me real visibility in terms of all aspects of accountancy. So, you know, VAT, payroll, accounts, tax. And it was really from then and... Was my, my tax lecturer um, in third year at university that actually made me decide I wanted to pursue not an accountancy career as such, but get my degree in accounts and law and then look for a, a, a tax tax training programme. I just quite enjoyed the number crunching and you know, whilst there's a lot of grey areas in tax and going over legislation for me, it was, you know, you were coming up to an answer and you know, there was just, I suppose, so much problem solving involved in it. So from there, my the, the small accountancy firm I did work in. You know, look, I look back really fondly on, on that and actually one of the, the girls that I worked with back then has recently joined Wiley and Bissett because eh, we've kept in touch which is always nice to, to see that evolve but from there I think they were looking to put me through ICAS or ACC at that stage and I had decided that it was really you know, tax that I wanted to do so I started a training programme with Tenon here in Edinburgh and I did a, probably a three hour daily commute and had to stay in Lanarkshire and it was quite tough trying to do exams I then feel pregnant as well, so trying to, you know, juggle doing your training, doing a three-hour commute, doing a job and having a baby was uh, quite challenging. So I moved to BDO with the, I just continued my, my tax training contract there. Uh, and I, I suppose, you know, I, I look back fondly on my time at BDO, uh, you know, I met some great people uh, and actually had, you know, probably a lot of support that at the time I didn't necessarily think I had. Um, and on that point, that was really where I went into the medical specialism of, of uh, my role. So at the time, after I had qualified as a chartered tax advisor, it was quite clear that the management structure at the time it would be very difficult for me to progress. And I had a very you know, honest conversation with a tax partner at the time. And he said, you know, we're going to have to think outside the box here. Um, if you want to get promoted and you want to, uh, you know, I was always ambitious to, to be, I always had the ambition to be a partner somewhere. Um, at that point in time, I didn't quite know maybe where it would be. Uh, Gap had come up to kind of support one of the directors at BDO and, and specialising in the medical accounts, which to me at the time I thought, oh, you know, it's just a set of accounts. Opportunity came up there and um, moved, you know, under, I suppose, the, the, the medical director took me under his wing and, and really taught me the tricks of the trade at that point in time. And then from there, I think, you know, it was really just again looking for, for promotion. Kath McManus had since moved to Wiley and Bissett. I started to, I suppose, a bit of a struggle for promotion and I was I was really quite ambitious and an opportunity came up at Wiley and Bissett and um, so she invited me to come and have a chat with the medical the, the partner uh, here who looked after the medical division uh, and I came here in 2016 as a manager um, and worked my way to partner for the kind of five years and um, have stayed in the role now for, for just over, over a year. Specialise in, uh, I suppose, medical accounts, but also as a partner in the business advisory services department, I've also got a kind of a general practice portfolio as well. So, you know, um, no two days are the same. Um, and whilst I absolutely hold myself out there as the, the healthcare specialist, it's it's nice sometimes to look at accounts of, of non-GPs and, you know, just speak to, you know, taxi drivers, beauticians, you know, hoteliers, whatever, whatever it may be. So, uh, again... It's been a challenge. The past 12 months have been challenging. We've had you know, a few, uh, one of our partners has retired. We've had you know, another partner stepping back. So I think the past few months for us has certainly been challenging. The first year of partnership was certainly challenging, but it was equally rewarding as well. And the promotional work-life balance and just the people 
quite often the staff will laugh at me because I'm quite passionate and I'll say to them, I love Wiley and Bissett because I genuinely do love Wiley and Bissett. And, you know, we're fortunate a lot of our staff have trained here, they've continued their careers here, you know, and sometimes if they're having a bit of a wobble, I'll say to them, this is really a great place to work and you maybe only appreciate it if you have worked elsewhere. So, yeah, we're just continuing to, to try and grow the business and, yeah, I think everything we're doing on hybrid working, flexible working, working through everything that we need to work through as a partnership group, very supportive of each other. It's nice starting to now get to know the partners as, as people as opposed to just you know, colleagues. Um, we had a, a wee day out on, on Friday, which was lovely, um, just to see each other, you know, I suppose, out with the office setting and, and try to get to know each other a bit better on a, on a personal level, which was really nice. So, yeah, loving my time at Wiley Vista and I'm saying this now, but I, I genuinely do feel it's a place that I'll, I'll probably see my career out um, and I'm not 40 yet, so... Fantastic. Thank you, Laura. Uh, just listening to, to your story there and thinking uh, from a business owner, from a, a, a customer perspective, and probably the, you know, the, the listeners will also be thinking, I'm really glad that somebody's passionate about tax. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, do you know, I love tax. I mean, I, obviously I'm in tax as well. And I know Catherine Levy should go on to her. She's not. But I have to say the budget and all that is my highlight of the year, which my family think is crazy. But I think it's my highlight of the year because I love that just things changing and all of that. I just love it. Love it. I think it's just um, brought to me the, you know, the importance of having people who are specialists and things that you're not an expert in. You know, so that's the reason why we, we have an accountant. There's obviously the legislative stuff, but there's also the the tick box stuff that, that you need to yeah. do. But the you know the advice that we need in terms of of taxation and everything, and the best way of structuring our our finances. Um, you know, and and in all areas of business, if if you're not strong on marketing, having someone that is good at marketing and somebody that's good at the operation stuff and lots lots of areas in your business. So I think that's been one of my business biggest learning curves, I have to say, because I suppose I, you know, maybe I'm a people pleaser, I don't know, but I've always wanted to do everything I possibly could for the client. And quite often perhaps in the early stages of the career, I'd be committing say, we can do that, we can do that, I'll do that for you. And actually when you take a step back now, you say that probably might not be the right decision at that time because it's actually about do what you're good at. You know, I'll quite often say to my GP clients, you know, I don't come to you for a doctor's appointment for me to tell you what's wrong with me. I come to you as a GP because that's what you've trained in and that's what you're qualified to do. And likewise, when it comes to the account, you will put your trust in me. And I think for me, that's probably one of the biggest, even I would say over the past two years, you know, as a full service firm, and maybe it's because I know the departments and the people in the head of those departments really well. But actually now I would say my mindset is we will be able to do it. It may not be me, but we can certainly as a firm give you that service. And you know, perhaps I was too naive in my early days of my career to say, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it without because I, I worried that by introducing somebody else to that relationship that they'd almost, you know, dilute your relationship with the client. But actually it's not the case. And I think for me that's just been something that I've I've, I've learned quite a lot. I would say probably more so than I when I joined my own business. I think it's about managing the client relationships, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. putting the right people in front of them at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the listeners will also be going through that journey of realisation as well. So, yeah, brilliant share. So, Catherine Livingston, what's your story? Very much. So, I am um, a partner in the business advisory team at Wiley and Bissett, working alongside Laura. I've been a partner for just over a year as well, so month 14 for me. I am uh, not quite 40 yet, but I'm a good bit closer than Laura. I've got a big birthday coming up later this year. I started my career at Wiley & Bissett, so a whole 18 years ago, I joined Wiley & Bissett as an accountancy graduate. So kind of like Catherine McManus, during her kind of uni days and then joining an accountancy degree and wanting to be an auditor, that's exactly what I did. I'd got a, my kind of final year at uni, made lots of applications to lots of different firms in the hope of securing an ICAS contract, and I did at Wiley & Bissett. I knew quite quickly, you know, that, oh God, I really, really, that what my thought was when I get into the Wiley Bissett, I hope I get offered a job here, you know, compared to some of the other firms. And I did apply to lots of different sizes of firms, you know, very small ones. Wiley Bissett was, you know, a, an independent, smaller firm, but, but bigger than some of the other ones. And I applied to some of the big four as well. And I kind of knew quite quickly, you know, that I did want to work somewhere that was a bit smaller, smaller where you knew more, most people and you know, were able to build up 
kind of relationship. So absolutely delighted to have been offered a contract at Wildline Bissett and I started in the audit team, which is where most of our kind of ICAS graduates go. We did do a kind of rotation during them first three years into different departments, which was really, really good as well. But spent the majority of the three years um, and qualified you know, within the training contract as a chartered accountant, which was mine. And then I got offered a permanent job within the audit team. So I stayed there for a whole 11 years. Absolutely loved my job and kind of progressed from being kind of graduate in the door to a manager at the end of the 11 years. The last couple of years, I had two kids quite quickly, two boys, the first, the, the first two of my three boys. So I had two boys. And at that time, kind of pre-pandemic, I guess, in the audit world, you travelled quite a lot. So I, f- I found that quite difficult after I had my first boy. While in Bissett were so supportive, I've got to say, my travel was cut down quite a lot. Um, and I went from kind of five days to four days at that time. But once I had the second boy, I wasn't looking for anyone else, but I knew I was finding it quite difficult. So just by chance, I, I kind of, someone that I know quite well offered me a job and I was on my second maternity leave. So I did actually have a small break from my line. I sit and I went to work in industry um, on the back of my second maternity leave. And that was a really, really difficult decision for me to make because I'd absolutely loved my 11 years at Wildland Bissett. Loved my job, loved the clients, loved the people. I was really, really lucky to have you know, support of managers and then partners to, to, to work for. But I decided, you know, maybe just working in industry where I had a kind of base to go to every day instead of travelling was maybe a better decision. Knew quite quickly that industry wasn't for me. I really, really missed practice. I missed Wildland Bissett. I, I only worked in industry for six months and I've got to say I probably knew within the first month but you know as anything if you try something new you've got to give it a wee bit of time and lucky for me I had a really good relationship with still quite a lot of people at Wildland Bissett so when you but I weren't happy they asked if I wanted to come back I, went, I was absolutely delighted to but I did come back to a different role so I came back seven years ago pretty much seven years exactly because it was in the April to a, a role as manager in the business services team as it was at the moment so Bit of a shift in uh, from me in terms of the clients that I was working with. It was smaller clients, smaller clients that that didn't need a um, an audit. So I was absolutely delighted with that move and uh, quite quickly settled into that team. So the last seven years, I feel has gone in an absolute whirlwind. So I've kind of went from kind of manager, senior manager, director to partner, um, and then amongst that, two and a half years ago, I had a boy, so I had another maternity leave during 2020, which was worked out really, really well for me because it did mean that during that 2020 lockdown when um, Laura and Catherine was probably almost having a nervous breakdown <laughs> with trying to juggle <laughs> working from home and working and, 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 and kids, I was off for quite a chunk of that that first summer, which was great because it allowed me to you know, focus on the new baby and focusing on working from home. So came back, back from that mat leave and, and towards the end of 2020. And it's really just been through the quickest two years, I think, ever since, you know, since then. Lots happened from Laura and I. Laura and I work really, really closely. We kind of progress to partner at the same time, you know, and we work within the same team. So I think probably at least five times a day, Laura, aren't we, that we're on, we're on the phone to each other. And I also work really, really closely with Catherine McManus. And just as Laura was talking about earlier, where we work really closely with is I deal with all things accounts. And Catherine and I, McManus and I work really, really closely because for our clients, Catherine deals with all the tax side of it and I deal with all the accounts. So we work quite closely and work quite well for a lot of our clients um, in relation to that. So yeah, at the moment, partner in the business advisory team, along with Laura and Mark, get a team of about 20 staff. It's a really, really busy team. And as Laura was saying earlier, you know, there's been quite a lot of changes um, in the team and it's been a really, you know, crazy year. I think that's the only way to describe it. It's been an absolute crazy year, but you know, a really good year and a really, really rewarding year, year as well. Quite like Laura and, and Catherine, absolutely love Wiley and Bissett. No, I'm going to be here, you know, the rest of my career. Really enjoy my uh, job. And it's just such a great firm to work for. You know, the partners are great, the staff are great. Kind of work life balance is really, really good as well. You know, one of the things, and I think I actually mentioned that in our kind of day out eh, when we had lunch and drinks on Friday, was that when it came to having discussions about being a partner at that point, I was still only working four days just to get that extra day, you know, to juggle. Young child, kids at nursery, kids at school. Do you know, it was my decision whether I wanted to go up to the five days or do you know, stick with the four days for that work balance, um, do you know, even as a made partner. So to me, I was absolutely delighted with that. I did choose to go up full time just because I felt you know, that I needed to put in that for the role. But it was good to be, you know, I guess, for that to be part of the decision and, and for me to have a say in that you know, as I progressed, which I was absolutely delighted with. So yeah, I work in all things accounts. Um, I do have a specialism in the food and drink industry hospitality so hotels and that type of thing but really I've got a probably my client base is a complete mix I've got clients in all different sectors and in all different areas and I suppose that's what I love building relationships with with different people different clients um, and I think that's the great the great thing about working you know in a firm with Wiley and Bissett. 
similar to Laura and Catherine, you know, we get to know our clients, we get to know what their needs are and who able to best advise them. And, and as we are a full service firm, you know, we can call in Catherine or our corporate finance partner or our payroll team, whatever they need, we have got it in-house and able to deliver it, deliver it for them as a package. So that is a really, really good to be able to, you know, completely support our clients with everything they need, really. Can I just, it's interesting that Catherine says how she left the firm and returned to the firm because three of our current partners and our new associate partner as well, so four of the partner group, if you like, have all been at Wiley and Bissett, left Wiley and Bissett and returned. And when I came to Wiley and Bissett as an employee, I was amazed at the amount of people that come back, you know, even from the staffing group, there are people who, so it's one of those things that, you know, people leave for their, for their own reasons or whatever, but quite often they do come back, the door's not closed which I have to say, I think is probably quite unusual and is maybe testament to the way we work here and, and how, how we keep close to people, even when they move on. So I'm thinking about this, actually, as I've been making notes as the three of you have been talking, you know, the work-life balance and really love being there, going to work out the rest of your career in that organisation. And as a, as a business owner listening to this, the Scale Her Up is about supporting women in business and you know you've got an organization that's got a lot of women in, in senior roles there which are relatively unusual I think in your industry in many industries but what would a, a business owner listening to this what do you what do you think that they could do because I would like to build a business that's got that kind of culture and that kind where people are that happy that they want to enjoy their work and want to stay so what do you think that Wiley and Bissett does differently that that others could learn from? I think personally, it's the, the partner group make a real, real conscious effort to put their self in the staff's shoes, you know, in the team's shoes um, and try and, we're, we're always evolving, we're always thinking of new things. Even on Friday when we had our, our we lunch and, you know, we were out, we, we had a meeting beforehand and at that we were thinking of things that we could do differently. We were discussing, you know, how do we think hybrid working's gone because we were we're very, you know, straight off the bat with that. That's the way we're going to go. We discussed the fact that even even with hybrid working, for example, we've said to staff over July and August, which we know can be pressure months for perhaps childcare or whatever. You never know um, that we'll, you can work from home for the whole two months if you choose to. You know, so we, we, we tend to try and really become, maybe, maybe it's easier because we're a small partnership group. We're a relatively small partnership group, but we genuinely take time out to think about what are the needs of people in the business, not just ourselves as partners, you know, what are the needs of the team? And we try and accommodate where we can. And I go back to that point about people coming back to the business. I think I've seen a lot of you know people leave across, you know, both my previous employments and here as well, people do leave, but we tend not to lose contact with them. We tend to keep a personal contact. As a matter of fact, one of my partners was away out this morning, the managing partner was away out with a former member of his team who's now moved on to another firm. You know, we keep in contact, we we, we try our best to sort of, and I think if people can just try and stay connected to their teams, then they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to work that will work best and be beneficial for both parties. What I would say as well is that during my 18 years overall at Wiley & Bissett, I always felt that during Wiley & Bissett as a firm were just making decisions and doing things maybe before can other firms wear or, or do other accountancy firms anyway? So, for example, when, back 18 years ago when I went for that first interview, Wiley & Bissett was the only firm that had a flexible working day where you could start between 8 and 10 and finish between 4 and 6 to allow you to do the school drop-off. Do you know, most of the interviews I had, it was you know, kind of straight 9 to 5 with set lunch or whatever. And then that evolved to you know, um, be able to have flexi time where you could work some longer days and then you do a shorter day in a week. And then we were quite, I guess, on the back of the pandemic, you know, made the decision just to move to hybrid working. So I guess, as Catherine says, it might be easier for us because we're a smaller partnership it's partnership group. And I guess it's maybe easier for us, you know, to meet and just make them decisions. But certainly our staff seem to you know, appreciate that, you know, making the decisions and getting that flexibility. And I, I suppose from us, given the staff flexibility, we normally find, you know, we get that back as well. If you need the staff to you know, work overtime or if there's a pressing deadline, we tend to find that they're all on board and all work with us the same way you know, as we work with them. So it is just you know, having that flexibility, I think, works well for all of us. I would totally agree with you there, Catherine. Having been a, a working mum in a kind of corporate role, I'm aware that if I was given the flexibility that I needed when somebody was ill or when I wanted to go to a concert or something, that I gave back much more 
because I was grateful for that flexibility. So it's it's a really clever business decision. It's not just about allowing you to, to do the school run. So we've all, all four of us here, you've told me about the, the you know, the, the kids coming along and, and getting in the way of your career. But is that is that one of the big challenges that you've faced in your careers, ladies? Motherhood? But well, I think that I probably would have been partner earlier if I, if I hadn't had my career breaks for my children. I had my first child. I had just been promoted to manager. <laughs> and I literally went in a few months later and said, pregnant with my first child. Somebody at the time, bizarrely, had recommended to me, if you're going to have children, this was back in the day, <laughs> a few years ago now, but it was, you're going to have them, have them together, have them quick, <laughs> you know. And I was like, right, OK. Well, I never really thought about it that way. It wasn't really in my mindset, but... I ended up having two children within two years. So for the best part of three years, my career was a bit disrupted because I was off on maternity leave and things like that. Although I still made myself available and things. And I've definitely, as I've got older, been much easier for me because now my children are bigger. They're off to ones at university, ones in six years. So for me, I'm at this stage of my career where I can, the children are not a factor and really a large factor anyway in how I do my job. But I always took the view that it was my choice to have my children. You know, I chose the time. Some people have them earlier, some people have them later. And it was my choice and I made the conscious decision. So I think I would have been partner quicker, absolutely, if I hadn't had them. But I never I never felt I never felt that that was particularly my employer's problem. And I never actually I never gave myself a hard time about it. It was my decision. And that was I, I knew I wanted to get to where I wanted to get to, like Laura, always ambitious. And I wanted to be a partner in a firm. Didn't, I didn't always know where I thought it was going to be my previous firm, but I always wanted that ambition. So my drive never stopped. My view and my, my approach to work and, and never, ever ceased because of that. And I never felt bad about it. It was just a decision I made and I, and I, I just worked round about it. So I think if you can be reflective, um, but absolutely, I think support, employers have to be supportive of women in that situation because we're all in different patterns. I had mine at 30 and 32. Laura will tell you she had her son young and Catherine's had, you know, children together and then had another baby as well. So we've all got very different stories to tell about having our children. Certainly that's it. I always felt that it was my decision and I, and I was happy to work round about it. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, so I had, I had three over eight years, similar to Catherine, the first two were, were, think, were just over two years. So they were quite quickly and then, my youngest, there was like a four-year gap, so it was spread out. But I suppose for me, during my career, similar to you know, the other two, I always wanted to be partner. But for me, definitely wanted to have you know, the kids as well. I'm quite happy to take that time, you know, even if it meant a delay. But for to me, I don't really feel it did delay me. My, I suppose my goal was always to be, you know, I wanted to be partner before I was 40. And despite the three kind of maternity leaves and taking you know, kind of nine, ten months off each, I was still partner within a, a, by the time I was 38, which you know, I was absolutely delighted with. So I think for me, probably similar to Catherine, you make the conscious decision to absolutely have the kids, you know, best decision I ever made, certainly, because they're, they're so rewarding and you get, get so much from uh, the kids. For me, I feel like I have had a bit of the best of the both worlds because I've still been able to progress with my career as well, you know, and I don't feel that that's delayed. Similar to Catherine, you know, you maybe be a bit flexible, you know, and be available if somebody needs a call and things like that during maternity leave generally. Um, and, and keep in touch, I suppose that's the thing for me. But really, yeah, I, I feel it's probably not delayed me at all. I've just, I've managed to do them both. At times, very hard work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, similar to like Laura and Catherine, you know, working and juggling the kids can it be tough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes it can, especially when you're running them around to the millions of clubs that they have and things like that. <laughs> Having the flexibility, maybe get up and work earlier or just work around the, the, the kids. Even prior to I was when I was a partner with the late drop-offs and things like that, it all made a difference, I've got to say. Just allowed me to kind of, kind of do them both. Good. Well, what about you, Laura? So I suppose I'm, I was quite different. At, you know, if you'd asked me when I was 20 what my plans were, it was to get qualified in whatever field I was going to do and, you know, be married and have my first child by age of 30. And, you know, at the age of 22, I found myself, oh gosh, what's about to happen, just as I'd embarked on a, a tax training programme. But actually, for me, I think it's probably accelerated my career because, you know, I had Ryan when I was uh, 22. I took four months off, but actually at that time, I was so embarrassed to go to my um, partner at that time to say, oh my gosh, this has happened, you know, I'm so young, you've just taken me on. So I was so keen to get back. And, and you know, I, I remember dropping Ryan off at nursery 
when he was four months old in a, in a car seat and thinking, oh my gosh, so do I feel I missed out on a lot of his infant life? Yes, but for me the focus was I wanted to do the best I could for him because, you know, I didn't want him to want for anything and I wanted to, you know, give him a life that I had had, you know, a really enjoyable life and, you know, holidays and all those types of things. And actually at that stage, you know, in terms of the graduate programme and the salary level at that time, I was generally working to pay for my train fare to Edinburgh and the full-time nursery fees. And looking back, I think, gosh, you know, I'm so glad I made that decision. Now, my relationship with, with, with Ryan's dad, you know, broke down and I was so lucky to have it an amazing mum and dad that, you know, helped with the nursery run, allowed me to get the 630 train to Edinburgh. And actually, you know, they would help when I was studying and quite often on Facebook memories will come up and it's when I was studying for my CTA and there's a picture where I'm sitting at the kitchen table in a flat. You know, at that stage, it was just Ryan and I and he's sitting there, you know, writing and studying when I'm sitting there trying to do my, my books. And, you know, I absolutely couldn't have done it you know, without the support of my parents and my sister um, to be feed as well. So I think for me, I was so focused on proving people wrong, you know, maybe this stereotypical single parent early 20s. And for me, that really just gave me more drive than I had, more ambition to succeed. And like Catherine, I always said, I'd love to be a partner somewhere by the age of 40. And I got there when I was 35. You know, so actually, I think, had my plan Thinking of the timing of my career, I still qualified where I would have qualified had I not had Ryan. Had I not had Ryan qualified at the same stage when I did and then gone on to maybe you know, get married and have kids at that stage or whatever, would I be where I am just now? I'm not sure I would have. So for me, actually, I, I, I fully believe um, it accelerated my career. Granted, I didn't do it on my own, you know, and, and whilst I had a relationship breakdown, you know, we were co-parenting very amicable and, you know, the support there so actually it was a combined effort from so many people but looking back now you know I've got a 14 year old who is just in his room all the time playing his playstation quite self-sufficient and my husband now is you know he'll do the school drop or whatever which allows me to really kind of a, you know do the early starts or the cult meetings when you know out with the kind of a nine, nine to five day so yeah for me at the time I genuinely thought my life was over and looking back when I see you know, other people turning up to soft plays at the weekends. I'm thinking, you know, I'm quite glad I don't have to do that now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do, t- I do. I do. I'm very fond of my nephew, so I can, at least I can, you know, take him and hand him back when he gets too much. He's three. But so, yeah, for me, you know, quite a different story um, to, to Catherine Catherine, but I actually genuinely feel that it's probably, I think, I'm further ahead than perhaps I might otherwise would be if life had gone to the way I thought I might have done. Um, but it's like everything that doesn't always go to plan, does it? And but yeah, no regrets at all. I, I I did have a I had a real, real benefit when my kids were young right enough. I had a workplace nursery. So I worked I, I dropped my kids in the morning, unlike Catherine who's or and Laura's maybe we dropped off at parents or nursery, other external nurseries. I used to drop my my children off down the stairs in the basement nursery and shoot off up the stairs, which was really, really good because you know it meant that in those moments, as we all get as parents. You know, when they've got a temperature and, you know, you're going to have to collect them, I could sort of go down and assess it and I could say, OK, well, let's try this first, maybe some cow ball or whatever. And, and then I could and then I could go home if I needed to. And it also gave me that flexibility of I didn't have to go somewhere else before I went into the office and at pick up time. So that for me was a big, big benefit at the time and really made a huge difference mm-hmm. having two young children with me and in, in the town with me in Glasgow with me. I've got to say, having that family support makes a huge difference. We're lucky enough to have one set of grandparents who just lived around the corner. And as soon as me and my husband get married, she was just like, right, I've retired. So grandkids, come on, used to. So we were really lucky to, we've we done a combination of nursery and grandparents. But it's things like, for example, we had a month of just the kids being ill when, when they'd caught something. And they were, they were okay. They just weren't enough, well enough to go to nursery or school. And that's when the grandparents step in. And I just think, oh, goodness, you know. If you never had that support, actually, do you know how much time would you have had to take off work during that to you know, try and deal with them? So that's certainly been huge. You know, we're lucky that if, if anything happens or you know, the kids catch something, you can just phone up Granny and she'll step in, thankfully. I'm <laughs> very, very lucky to have that. It's one of the questions that I ask all the entrepreneurs that I uh, interview is who have been your biggest supporters? So it sounds like... Family and extended family are a are a big a big part of the support that means you you're able to succeed in your careers. Would that be right? 
Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. you couldn't do it without family, you know. My my parents were a wee bit elderly, so you know they couldn't help me with things like you know the childcare and things like that. But what I would say is, is they, they gave me huge emotional support. You know, in those crazy days when you're sitting, you know, I remember because when I, my kids were young, my my husband worked away a lot. <laughs> I used to be like tearing my hair out, you know, trying to juggle work and them. And it's just the emotional support and that just groundedness that you need from your family. I think everybody needs that from their family, but also they need it from their employer too. Absolutely, and I think. We've all been lucky, not just here at Wiley and Bissett, but probably other employers as well. I know I have that, you know, to get that support over the years is something that you need to work. And it's back to the point that you made, Brenda, you know, if you get that support and that flexibility, you give it back. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm also going to just take you back, Laura, to what you were saying about how the, the circumstances, what becoming a mother at, at the age of 22, how that's actually driven your career forward. And I'm sure that at that point it felt like, at the end of the world and your dreams were, I mean, I'm a mother, I know that, you know, it's, there's amazing to to have a child, but also how that's affected your career and the the path that you thought you were going to take. So isn't it great that years later you can look back and go, what felt like the end of the world actually was the thing that's driven you forward and and made made a big difference to your life. So if anybody's listening, thinking all the circumstances here are so, this is really tough and it's not what I, how I had planned things out, it might actually be for for the best. You know, definitely. And as I say, you know, when I when I look back, I think and I remember it well, you know, I remember seeing telling my dad and uh, oh my gosh, it was probably the worst day of my life. Because for me, being a daddy's girl, it was very much like he's so disappointed in me. And for me, I, I'm never going to get over that. And I think for him the disappointment didn't last long, to be fair. He was extremely supportive, I think, once you over the initial shock. But I think it was more about he's thinking, you've got this job and how, you know, how are you going to do this? And, you know, they're so young and, you know, I suppose maybe being quite traditional and old-fashioned, they're not married, oh my goodness. And I think, I suppose, the world today, you know, we see so many different family setups, And I think now, you know, everybody's a lot more open-minded, you know, about hybrid family, whatever it may be, you know, and co-parenting and things. But, I'll never forget that detail of my dad and, you know, he didn't speak to me for about 12 hours and I couldn't sleep that night and, you know, God bless his soul now, but he was the biggest supporter for me and, you know, when I qualified and I wish he'd been here uh, when I was able to say, you know, I had a a made partner because it genuinely would have been one of the proudest days of his life, you know, but actually it's just, when I look back, I think everybody does have bad days and maybe it is you know social media and the press but you know mental health is a massive thing you know for, for everybody just now and not just now but for a, for a while and I think you know that the pandemic and everything has maybe brought a lot of that to, to the fore and I suppose as we're sitting here saying you know we've got success stories we also have bad days you know whether it's professionally whether it's personally we've got a great network internally as a partner group we've got you know we're all very fortunate to have great family and friends support you know out with but maybe do we take for granted we've got a fantastic film maybe we do but actually you know our firm's over 300 years old it's built on kind of like you know we're just building on the foundations that were set so long ago so these things things don't happen overnight it takes hard work you know it takes commitment determination we will all have bad days but I suppose it's how you pick yourself up from that and actually for me looking back when I see the, the age of 22, when I thought, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me here? Everything I've worked hard for, I genuinely thought my life was over. Fast forward to 13 years and I had actually already got to where I had hoped I would be in a film that has been you know, completely supportive. And yeah, it's it might seem some of these days when you think, gosh, this is never going to work for me or things are not going to happen. You can find a way and having that support network and you, know, you do need to have determination and commitment and but if you've got that and you've got the support network, you, you will get there. You know, as I say, for us, we have, we've, we've joined a firm that you know did have some really solid foundation, the kind of a family business culture mentality. And yes, we're now probably maybe, you know, no disrespect to maybe previous partner groups, but we were a traditional accountancy firm. We're now maybe a bit more modern in terms of our approach to work, the flexibility, the work-life balance, you know, we're, we're all very driven, we're all very ambitious and I think for me that's probably why William Bissett is so successful because I've always said we've got the best of both worlds and that's one of the reasons I love it here is because we do have those traditional 
family business, almost old school values that we've actually taken into the modern world and actually we've, we've then you know, joined that up with a modern approach to working with flexibility and hybrid and, and work-life balance. And for me, that's really what sets us apart, I think, from, from some other firms that absolutely. It sounds like you've done it really well. Well done. Just listening again to the, the value of having a clear goal, telling the, the story of your career and knowing this is where I want to be and this is when I want to be there and achieving it whether it's a career goal or a business goal or a personal goal, but knowing what you want to do and having that recorded or shared or, you know, much more likely to achieve it. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think the three of us sitting in this call today, you know, we are all very organised, focused, maybe control freaks at times. I'm not quite (laughs) sure. I think probably the staff may say that that's the case. But you know what? It works for us and we're all in agreement. Actually, you know, it's not that it's easy streets here at Wiley Bissett. We're firm, but we're fair. You know, we've implemented so many positive policies, procedures, protocols here at Wiley Bissett. And I think for all of us individually, but also collectively, having that clear goal and knowing that we've got the support of each other and actually being able to pop your head into the and say, gosh, I'm having a bad day. I'm not getting over this. You know, only this morning, Kath McManus and I had a chat about, gosh, yesterday was a tough day. You know, I think we were both in the office for almost 12 hours. Kath and Lannistan would have been the same and you feel as if you hadn't even tackled your to-do list for that day because things just cropped up. But you know, if at least you've got a plan and it's it's defined and it's there, you might not always achieve it in the time scales that you just, you know, that you set out to do, but you will get there. And I think it's just about consistently re-evaluating those, those being organised and being focused and, you know, setting yourself realistic targets. They might seem over-ambitious at times, at least you've got something to work I, I think that I think that's true of you know setting the targets is true of all aspects of your life. I remember you know my ambition was to go to university because I was the first one. I was the youngest grandchild of a group of elderly cousins and older cousins than me, and I, I was the first one to go to university, and that was my you know starting point. And I think ever since even that goal, it's been important to me to set goals all throughout my life because. If you don't set goals, no matter what you're doing, whether it's going to university, achieving a particular degree or or achieving a particular qualification or promotion, if you don't set the goals, then you you maybe can get stuck in a rut. And I think that's it. So no matter what you're doing, I urge anybody, whether they're, you know, starting out in business, you know, just learning a new skill or whatever, set the goal, set the target and set the timeline and measure it. And yeah, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to at a given point in time. But if you can still set it and keep it in your sights, you get a lot about manifestation, don't you know? It will manifest itself eventually. And I think just going back to what Laura said, we're all quite you know, similar in terms of setting them goals for ourselves personally, but every single team meeting we have, partners meetings we are, that's what drives it. We have aims, we set tasks responsibilities is delegated and we have time skills you know and we measure everybody's accountable for what you've got to do and I think without that as, as Catherine said you can get stuck in a rut things don't happen but I think for ourselves personally but for every aspect you know of our, our work our team that's how we work you know that's how we, we do things there so you do you do achieve things and yeah not always you know not always within the time scale but you revise it you know or, or you change your plans if you need to things changes but having that I guess way of working certainly how helps drive things forward for ourselves and for the team. I think accountability for us, and I think that's probably as a partner group, certainly the partners sitting in this call, but probably, you know, generally, is that it's a two-way street and we are very clear on the staff. You know, so a conversation of the week was, why have the partners put their holidays on the staff planner? Surely you're not asking our permission. No, we're not asking your permission, but, you know, we want it to be visible. And actually, I think that's where we're starting to see the staff Certainly in business advisory services, we have gone through, you know, a huge period of transition and we're still in the early stages of that in terms of reshuffling of departments and, and, you know, and internal decisions that have kind of changed the structures of some of our team. And I think we're, we're probably, you know, at meetings, we will often say, we will hold you accountable and if something's not done, we'll try to understand why and, you know, we'll, we'll work with you on that. But, you know, also, we'll say to the staff, we also accountable to you. You know, yes, we're partners in the business, but actually, they, so they need to know that, you know, if we said we're going to do something, we will do it, you know, at a time that we agree with them. And if not, we'll have that conversation. And I, the staff, I think, are so receptive to that. And I think it's quite important for business owners 
regardless of whether you're turning over 10,000 or 10 million or whatever, I think actually accountability at all levels and that, you know, two-way street accountability between staff, employees, business owners, you know, whoever it may be, is so, so crucial to the success of the business because you will get back what you put in. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. And I think if you can be open and honest, now, of course, there'll be, you know, information and things that is maybe strategic or financial that's not going to be shared with employees or staff members. You know, there's always going to be those things that are that are not that you can't be as open and transparent about. But you know, certainly in terms of expectations, managing expectations and accountability, even you know, as a business owner, I think for me that's it's quite a crucial part of how you should play out your role in a business. So manage expectations, whether it's with your staff, your clients, or or whatever, but you know, it's, it's that to use to reach the accountability managing expectations and I think you generally will get the rewards from that if you can you know get that almost out there from, from day one. Is it leading by example? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think you've got to you've got to be prepared to no matter what grade you ever get to, you've got to be prepared to roll up your sleeves and get in amongst it with, you know, all your whole team. It might not be something that you do all the time because you you know maybe at a senior position and you shouldn't need to because that's not your role. But they have to understand that you will actually, you know, get in amongst it with them and you're all in it together. And I think that is the only way you achieve that two-way working that Laura's, yeah. you know, speaking about there for business owners. That's really, really important. So can we can we talk about your clients then? So obviously you're working with business owners, with entrepreneurs. You know, the purpose of Scale Her Up is to encourage more women to start or scale their own businesses. Catherine McManus, I don't know if you even, you probably didn't did it without even realising, but earlier on you talked about the business owners that you work with and helping yeah. them with their tax. And you said, I help him with his business tax and his personal tax. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. there you go. I didn't even know I did. I didn't even I know. know I did that. There you go. That's <laughs> just it, isn't it? That's that old adage, isn't it? As a doctor, yeah. always a man and all of that type of stuff. It's uh, uh, an yeah. un- unconscious bias, probably, you know. And Absolutely. It's, it's, it Absolutely. makes sense because most business owners are men, you know, we're we're in the minority. So, I mean, are the, are the clients that you're working with, do you have many, many female business owners, female entrepreneurs? Uh, I probably I'll pass that over to one of my colleagues because they probably see more of the actual in in the account side of things who's owning the business and that type of thing. Based on business owners for for my client base, I would say it's seventy five percent plus men. Um, yep. So there's definitely much more male business owners at the moment. However, what I would say is during the course of the last six months, especially after the pandemic, I've been working with quite a lot of new start companies and business owners. And that's probably slightly more even. Do you know there there, there 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 seems to be more females starting up new businesses, but in terms of our overall general client base, there's is still definitely dominated dominated by the males at the moment. Laura, would you say that's similar? So or? I would I would in general practice in the medical mm-hmm. profession, it's probably equal. And I think okay. that comes back to, you know, we probably only have about twenty percent of our GPs that are full time. So I think for, for GPs, they maybe work two, three or four days a week. And actually in the partnership models, we are we're probably about 50-50 in terms of business owners and the GP side. Now, quite often GPs don't think of themselves as business owners, but yeah, they are. So I would say in, in the medical profession, that's probably quite unique. But in our general practice, I would, yeah, absolutely 75-25 uh, male-female ratio. And I think as Catherine had touched on, what probably covid has maybe highlighted to, I suppose, everyone is it's almost a, a re-evaluation of, oh, wait a minute, you know, I maybe need a job, a business that's going to fit in with the kids or with, you know, hobbies or whatever it may be. And we're, we're now starting to see women more so looking at their hobbies and turning it into a business. Things that they've maybe just done, you know, as I say, yeah. you know, a few hours here or there, you know, party planning or, you know, these types of things, whatever it may be, or maybe they were a bookkeeper for a business, they were made redundant and they think, actually, I can now go out and do this on my own or, or whatever it may be. So we're definitely seeing a lot more activity, I would say, um, in the kind of female entrepreneur uh, space. Uh, and I think, you know, I suppose while we visit a, a maybe testament to us in terms of our partnership group as well, we're now up, you know, we're not quite 50-50, but we're not far off. And I think we certainly have a, a better ratio than a lot of our competitors out there in terms of our, the, the partnership group as well. So I think we are getting there. 
And I suppose, you know, if you compare it to, I suppose, maybe even 10 years ago, we've we'll definitely made progress. And, you know, I think it's quite exciting to see maybe what the next five to 10 years would withhold, because it's definitely, it's definitely improving. I think it's because of the flexibility employers have had to almost adapt how they do things. And, you know, it's a shame it's maybe taken so long. Quite often, you know, it seems to be that maybe negative um, implications of COVID, but I think there's also been a lot of positives that come out as well in terms of the way people run the business. And it's created so many opportunities for people to fit work or business in with family life and children and, you know, anything else. Maybe caring for elderly parents or whatever it may be, because it's, you know, quite often focuses also on if you have children. That's not the case for everybody. Um, and when Catherine touched on suspending their hybrid working over July and August, I think for us it was to actually appreciate that it shouldn't just be focused on those with children as well, because other people have maybe got other commitments that are, you know, maybe just as onerous as having, you know, childcare issues as well. So we're definitely getting there. It's been interesting to see around 10 years, I have to say. I, th- I think that's where hybrid working generally across businesses will change our dynamic over the next few years, as you say, because actually, whether you're a business owner or whether you're an employee in a business, hybrid working's here to stay, you know, and I think that that then gives women in particular more flexibility in the workplace or whether they're an owner of a business to work round about things. Because we all know that the onus does tend to fall on the women. We all know we all know that. I mean, we can we can try and be modern and forward thinking, and I think a lot you know a lot of places have come a long way in that regard. But still, at this point in time, the onus falls on the the the, the female. So I think hybrid working will have a huge impact on whether it's business owners or those women who maybe previously in mid- middle management bailed out and then didn't come back in. I think we're going to see a big, big change in the workplace in relation to that because hybrid working's here to stay. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. As all of us in sort of business support services, if you like, you know, here to help entrepreneurs, what do you think we can do or what are you doing to help female entrepreneurs? Get, go back to that setting an example, leading by example, you know, telling your story, getting out there, telling people that there's there's no barrier to success. And, you know, and, and, and highlighting, well, for me, from a tax perspective, you know, I'm looking at someone who's setting up a business and I'm wanting to make sure they set it up in the most efficient manner and do things efficiently for them. So we're getting in at the, at the ground level. Catherine mentioned earlier about, you know, she's getting involved with much more setups with, with female entrepreneurs. And giving them that support right from the off, because it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or not. When you set off in business, you you know what you're good at. And from our perspective as, as finance professionals, that's probably not necessarily the thing that the person's focused on. <laughs> they're focused on, you know, selling what they're selling, selling their services or whatever, and really doing their job and doing it well. So we are we're trying to set ourselves as an example. Catherine and I, Catherine Livingston touched earlier that we do a lot of work together and, and I think actually that works well often with the female entrepreneur because they feel more comfortable you know maybe sitting down with two women who've been there done that and know exactly the, the, the challenges that one might face you know when you're starting off in business we find that that works well and we do buddy up a bit Catherine don't we <laughs> in, that, in that regard so I think that's another thing that we are doing as well so that, that's those are the types of things that we were tending to focus on. I think maybe when they're starting up, any entrepreneur, no matter what gender, isn't probably aware of how much support there is out there for them. Would you agree? I think that's where we are. Yes, we'll do what we need to do from a compliance and advisory aspect in terms of the most efficient way of doing it, submitting relevant forms, getting the structure in place or whatever. But actually, you know, we're people people. And, you know, having that conversation with the clients to say, we're in business as well. This is what we do. And I suppose just almost we don't assume any sort of finance knowledge or finance experience. And I think we're we're really we really encourage open relationships with the clients and honest conversations, but you know, not in the technical speak and the, the jargon that goes with it. Actually just, you know, sitting down and just speaking like we are today in a, a formal setting, but informal as well. And I think it's it's just showing that we are human beings and we are normal people and 
giving them their story and like showing them, you know, giving, empowering them, giving them, trying to build on their confidence and, you know, say, we can deal with this aspect for you. You focus on delivering what you will deliver in terms of what you're, you're good at and just letting them know and be aware that there is so much support out there. And, you know, we are not, yeah, if clients phone us, <laughs> we don't automatically start the clock running. I think we're very supportive of businesses in, in that regard. I think we're very open and honest about our fees and our pricing structure. And I think we're you know, generally we're very supportive of clients and clients have our mobile numbers and they can you know, pick up the phone and they can run questions past you. And I think for us, it's cementing and I suppose developing those client relationships and we don't necessarily want to just keep, oh, that's my accountant on the phone. You know, it's the business advisor, but not saying we're going to be friends with your clients, but it's just being personable and allowing them to, I suppose, really engage with you, being that trusted advisor, I guess. And open up, opening up your network, Brenda, I'm sure yeah. you see this in what you do all the time. Open up your network to other women, you know, and other entrepreneurs, not just women, but, you know, if we're, that's what we're talking about here in particular. Open up your network, you know, introduce them to that banker who you know is going to really take them through it, through the process of their refinancing or saying to them, look, if you need that, you're buying a property, you want conveyance, and I know a really good lawyer who will take that forward for you, you know, and I think if when you open up that network and people see that actually these are all the, this is, these are all the areas of support that they can get and allowing them to focus on what they do, that's a real, real benefit for, for these people who are setting off on the, the business world. Laura touched on that earlier, actually, about in the beginning saying that she would do everything herself and then realising that if she, I guess you were talking about within the the company, just yeah. within your, your organisation, but by adding, yeah, by bringing other people in and showing that there there is more support and more benefit. Yeah, so within and without, yeah. out with Wiley Bissett, yeah. So you can't do it all yourself, you know, so even as, as accountancy professionals, you know, so we have, you know, you've got a finance director at Wiley Bissett, all do the deliverables for us as partners in terms of our finances. We've got an HR director. So even as business owners and as accountants, we still rely on so many different functions to actually supplement the core tasks and role that you, you actually have on a day-to-day basis. And you know, quite often it can be quite daunting when you think of all the fees that, that may make up, but actually you could find yourself in a your position could be much worse if you don't get the advice at the start. And I think for, for us whilst we're a full service firm, you know, so we don't have in-house legal, we don't have in-house banking facilities, but we've all got pretty big networks with different people. And if we can get that strong relationship with the client, they can phone us to say, as Catherine mentioned, I need to look at this, do you recommend anybody? And we've then got that network because we know that the lawyer down the road that we've dealt with has done a good job for other clients and is best suited to this client's needs. So very quickly, they can then tap into our network as well. So even if we can't do it, chances are we will need somebody either in our own network or in the firm's network that, that will actually be able to supplement it. And I think it's it's about taking a step back and, and knowing what you're good at and what you need to give the business for the business to succeed. But I suppose equally as important, it's all the other functions that need to feed into that that you potentially don't have the experience or the time, I suppose, to do it because, yeah. you know, it can be time-consuming starting your own business and growing your own business and what you don't want to do is, you know, working 18 hours a day and not having time for hobbies, family, friends, that work, and it goes back to that work-life balance again. So it's about getting that kind of a 360 offering that feeds in to the, the core product of the business um, and quite often, you know, a lot of that referral and recommendations can come from the accountant. Absolutely. Is there a, is there a bit about so there may, there may be some preconceptions about accountants and what you do and, yeah, the clock's always ticking and, and that sort of thing. Am I right in that there's a bit of a busting some conceptions about what you do and and you're not there to take the money and do the compliance stuff for them, that you're actually there to to support them and make, make the best of their business going forward? Yeah, and I think, um, I think our clients, the ones that we've built a relationship, certainly they get that, they know us, and that's why they, you know, they do phone us all the time to ask for that business advice, run something by us, as well as getting all the compliance stuff done. You know, they know that that's all taken care of and where we can really add value is talk to them, offer advice, and certainly for the, the new start businesses that I'm working for. So I've got a, a good example of a business, um, and it's two young females that have, were both employed and have decided to start out on their own and they're doing really, really, really well. And for, for these two, for example, I got in touch with them. We had the initial meeting, get everything all set up for them you know, to make sure that they were on the right track. They understood their numbers, that type of thing. 
now at the moment because they're going through you know, really high growth. They're probably they probably phone me every single week with something, and they're always like that. They've actually got the point. They're, they're past the point now that they say, "I'm sorry for all the queries," because you know we've got that relationship. They know it's okay. They know it's okay for them to phone me. Whilst it not might might be me, you know, I might put them in a contact. They're currently in contact with tax, you know, and they're doing some planning for them because in this case, the money that they're earning is going to be much more than they expected in the beginning. So they need a wee bit of tax planning, you know, which is absolutely great. And our tax team's doing that for them. So um, I think for us, you know, it's about building them relationships. Our existing clients probably already know it. If we get a new client on board, it's it's about being that open and honest with them from the outset and building the relationship with them so that they realise clock's not ticking because, you know, there probably are some firms out there that the clock do do tick. We always, you know, mm-hmm. legal firms, the clock do tick. And people are genuinely worried about calling us. But actually, from our perspective, it's better if they do call us. They've got a problem because we can plan, we can support them, we can help them. We can let them know the tax implications of doing something. So rather than find out at the end because they've not told us and we're trying to unwind, sometimes a model is better. I guess, I guess that saves the billable time at the time of preparing the accounts yeah. and doing the... Yeah, all of it's that. a bit it's an investment as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if we invest the time in them just now, now quick, you know, normally speaking, in the first year or two, our recoveries you know, are not great on new clients. But we know if we invest the time and cement those solid relationships, we want to have them as clients for the life of their business and the duration of their business. So it's actually about, you know, we know that there's an element of... It's an investment on our part as well and letting the clients understand that we can phone us and we need an email confirming this and that. You know, we're not going to then send them a bill for that. And I think as a group, we're in terms of fee pricing, we'll, we'll give you a fee quote. You know, we're not going to do everything for it. Of course we're not, but, you know, we'll be very transparent about what is included and I suppose what's not included. Um, but we're, yeah. we're absolutely not. You know, I was doing myself a solicitor on a personal matter not so long ago and, you know, anytime you've got a letter um, you know, we had a phone call, you know, you were almost getting billed. And, and definitely as a firm, you know, that's not how we operate. If, if something needs to be billed over and above the scope of the work, we'll have that conversation with you before the work carried out. And I think we are quite open and honest about that. And I think the, the clients do appreciate it. So I think it is a change in mindset from perhaps maybe the traditional accountancy firm. And it's a shame because we have operated like this for, certainly since I've joined, I suppose we have operated like that. And I yeah. think you're right, it is like it's almost... It's about identifying when the clock should start to tick, really, to be honest with you. I, I probably, in terms of service lines here on this call, it's probably tax, which is called into the most to do an added value piece, um, as we would describe it. And it's about identifying when actually does it become something that's beyond just answering a, t- a quick tax query or answering a quick call and saying, you know, something you actually need that looked in much more detail. And when if we look at that in much more detail, yes, there is time involved in that and there is a cost and here is the cost. So it's really about identifying, the myth I suppose is about identifying when the clock really is ticking <laughs> and when it merits that added value piece. We do build you know, a lot of tax specialist work, particularly as I say, it's my service line where that probably mm-hmm. kicks in the most, certainly from the fee on the call here. So we do bill a lot in that area, but it's just about identifying at what point in time. You know, I took on a, I went to Tenebrae last week to see a, a, not a new client of the firm, but a new client for me in terms of interaction with them. And they were so appreciative of me traveling to Tenebrae, you know, from Glasgow and, and coming back. And I, and I was like, well, you know, actually, sometimes you're as well just doing that trip and, and investing the time because the face-to-face conversation was so much more beneficial and will save time in the long run. <laughs> You know, and that's that's sort of where we, we see it. And I suppose it's, you know, showing the client and the prospective client the value of the fees. So by us doing this piece of work, you know, there may be a fee after completion of a report or whatever. You potentially could have that back in tax savings in year one, as an example, or over the period you actually. So, yes, it may be a cost. And you think, oh, gosh, you know, that for a report for you to tell me this when such and such, you know, down the pub at a networking event or in the spa the other day told me about it. And we do hear that quite a lot. But actually, you know, for them to have something in writing, have something tangible that can actually provide value to their business and hopefully maybe overall tax saving in terms of efficiencies or, or just doing things properly. And it's about that conversation and actually getting that message across to the client before, before you maybe sign up to do the work. Where the challenge really lies is if you send them the report and it does add value in terms of they've got the knowledge and the understanding of what one particular decision might mean, 
but then they choose maybe perhaps for their own reasons to do nothing about it. Now there's a challenging conversation <laughs> to have because you still want the bill because you've done the work. But the reality is, it's about just making them understand that at the start, that actual fact, you might do nothing with this information, but do you know something? You'll be so much better informed. You'll know the value of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you'll have a clearer plan for going forward. I'm hoping that the listeners are listening to this part and obviously thinking, oh, this is how I can get a better relationship with my accountant and get the better get better results, and but also thinking about how they can implement this in their business and yeah. how much that they give away in order to build the, the relationships and when their clock starts ticking, you know, if they're, if they're delivering a, a service to their customers. So I'm hoping that it's got the cogs ticking with the listeners about the, getting the right balance there. Yeah, well. because it's true of any business, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, do you know, ladies, we've talked for ages and I could talk to you for an awful lot longer. I mean, for the listeners, obviously, this is a longer, a longer episode today because I've got three amazing women on the on the call. We've covered most of the most of the questions that I wanted to ask, but I always ask at the end. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't asked or anything that you would like to add? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> Can't think of anything now. No, you put me in the spot. It's just if there was something obvious that we hadn't touched on, you know, feel free to open up. If not, then that obviously I've done my job well. No, I think yeah. you've done your job well, Brenda. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, Catherine, Catherine and Laura. Um, great to hear about what amazing organisation you've got and and how you're how you're helping the people, the type of people who are listening to the podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for being on Scale Her Up today. Thank, thank you so much for having us, Brenda. No, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur's show. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please join our Facebook community at Scale Her Up. Please connect with me, Brenda Hector, on social media and drop me a message to let me know you're enjoying the podcast. Or even better, pop a wee review on iTunes. I'm going to finish by reminding you, Only one in three UK entrepreneurs are female and men are five times more likely to scale their business to over one million in turnover than women. If we started and scaled our businesses to the same extent as men, it would add 250 billion to the UK economy and provide millions of jobs. Ladies, you can do it and we're going to make a massive difference.